Good morning. Let me actually pray before we jump into the Word of God here. Lord, thank you that we get to be your church, that we get to be reminded of just the church calendar and Advent and what that means as we prepare our hearts. Um, Lord, thank you, Christ. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you are coming again. I pray that, that now as we enter our time of hearing your word preached, pray that your spirit would move, move through me, move in us as we hear that, that, that we would be changed, that we would see Christ, um, who is the, the reason of this Advent. Uh, we love you. We pray this all in his name. Amen. And I, I should have told Laney, I guess I forgot about the second announcement. That's on me. But the second announcement is um, just the Christmas Eve service um, is just our normal uh, 9 o'clock a.m. and 1045. So nothing special there. You can enjoy Christmas Eve evening with your families. <clears throat> so many of you guys know because I've I've... I've shared with a lot of you, um, but my, my dad became a Christian about a year ago. Um, even as we speak right now, he's at a men's retreat at his church. Um, and as he's about to turn 70, he turns 70 next year, he told me that for the first time in his life, he feels like he's actually living. He, he's, he's got a new narrative. He, he, he's, a big, he's a big dreamer, and right now... <laughs> is a follower of Christ and an ethnic Jew. All he wants to do is fight um, anti-Semitism and, and in his words, go to my brethren, <laughs> the Jews, and tell them that we missed the Messiah, that we missed Yahshua, and to lead them to Jesus. His, his heart and his zeal are truly inspiring, and if I'm honest, quite convicting. Oh, may we never lose the love that we had at first. But as I think about the Jews, my, my heart breaks as I read about what's happening right now with Israel and Hamas. Hanukkah at the Eisenberg house, it started on, on Friday. I, I, I love my Jewish heritage. But in light of, of Advent and the coming of Israel's Messiah, Emmanuel, I can't help but to wonder, like, man, how did the majority of God's people, Israel, how did they miss their Messiah? My best answer comes in this picture. <laughs> it's, it, it's in the Jewish quarter of the old city, Jerusalem. It's the new menorah. And this menorah, it weighs half a ton. It's 24 karat gold. Um, it's worth $3 million. And it's ready to go. It's waiting to be placed in the third temple. Well, once that temple can be built, when Israel, either, either by force or military power, or, or, or the arrival of their hope for Messiah eventually takes over the Temple Mount, which is currently occupied by, by the Palestinians. Orthodox Jews, like the ones you'll see standing day and night at the Western Wall, we have that picture as well. The, 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 the next picture, the Wailing Wall. <clears throat> They're getting as close as they can to what used to be the temple in Jerusalem, where God's 
presence once dwelt. Here's what the Orthodox Jew says, quote, I believe with full faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even though he tarries with all that, I await his arrival with every day. I think the reason, I think the new menorah is my best guess at why many of the Jews miss their Messiah is because they're looking for a kingdom that's coming with power and glory, and dominance. The first advent of Jesus was definitely not that. His arrival was one of an upside-down kingdom, a kingdom of humility, a kingdom of weakness, a kingdom of reversal. But if you know Israel scripture, that's not totally out of left field. I think what comes to mind for some of us is like Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. Not as many of us will think of the story of Hannah and her son Samuel. And unfortunately, women in scripture don't get the same kind of press that men do. But we need to tell her story because we'll find out this morning that Jesus's mother, Mary, knew it well. If you don't know Hannah, Hannah was unable to have kids. One day as she was praying fervently in the Lord's house in Shiloh, God moved. God answered her prayers. She gave, he gave her a son whom she made, whom she named Samuel, which means God has heard. After she dedicates Samuel to the Lord, and that's not like a baby dedication we have here. She literally left her child with Eli, the priest, and left. She sings this song of praise. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. See if you can pick up some of the themes of God's upside-down kingdom. This is a kingdom of reversals. 1 Samuel chapter 2. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows. And by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He, he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Nobody expected 
that barren old Hannah, the one they thought was drunk in the tabernacle, would give birth to Samuel. Samuel, Israel's last judge and first prophet. Samuel, the one that ushered in Israel's first kingdom, who was also a priest or functioned as a priest. Samuel was a big deal. Well, during the first advent of Jesus, Jews were longing for Messiah, but looking for him in all the wrong places. Little did they know that some young girl from nowhere, like Hannah before her, would be giving birth to one much greater than Samuel, the one who would be ushering in a forever kingdom. From the Jews in Jesus' day to the Jews and Palestinians today, to the terrorist group Hamas, the, the school shooter at UNLV this week, to us in this room, we are all believing a narrative. The question is, what narrative are you believing? What, what story are you living out of? Because our passage on this Advent Sunday from Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel is going to give news to the most unlikely candidate, Mary of Nazareth. And this good news about the arrival of the king has the potential to change everything. It did for Mary. It can for me, for you, and for this world. My question to you as we jump into this passage is this. Is the Christmas story just a wonderful story that you want to pass down to your kids? Create some great tradition and partake in some festivities with your family and friends. Maybe grieve what you, what you don't have or what you've lost. As the world and sometimes even the church tries to show you what's most important Christmas? Or is the King Jesus Christmas story the greatest story ever told? And is this the narrative that you believe? Is this the narrative that you're living out? There are a lot of noises in our, in our world. There are a lot of narratives we can choose to believe. What narrative are you believing this Christmas? Well, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. We'll start in verse 26, where we picked off from last week. Picked up from last week. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The same angel who visited Zechariah in our passage last week is on the move. And while Zechariah's elderly wife, Elizabeth, is still pregnant, this angel heads for the wrong side of the tracks. He's headed for Nazareth, like they used to say, what good can come from Nazareth? I mean, if I was looking for the youngest and the sharpest, one whose future looks incredibly bright, I might ask my friend who teaches at Valor High School, who y'all got, bro? 
I probably wouldn't head for the public middle school in Pueblo. I mean, think of Gabriel's exalted position, not just as an angel, but even amongst the angelic hierarchy. This dude is top dog. And here's our first hint at this upside down kingdom of God, this angelic created being who, if he showed up in this room right now, we'd all scream and go run to our cars is juxtaposed with the lowliness of Mary's social status as a young girl living in Nazareth. Luke says he he comes to Nazareth and, and finds what he's looking for, a virgin pledged to be married. So here's this girl betrothed to a man named Joseph. And and, and Luke very intentionally adds a descendant of David. We'll come back to that. But this standard Jewish practice of betrothal would have had the parents involved in the matchmaking process. And this forthcoming marriage would have already been legally binding with an engagement deed and a bridal price already paid. This would often happen when the girls were around 12 years old. And the men were usually 5 to 10 years older than that. Part of the reason the girls were so young was to protect their virginity. And you guys thought the purity culture was crazy. (laughs) Well, look at Mary's reaction to the angel Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. A better translation might be, Mary was straight up tripping. (laughs) And it's not only the angel that's terrifying, it says she's troubled at his words. What did he say again? Verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Here's this little girl, maybe 12 years old, small town folk who knew her Hebrew scriptures and is hearing this angel tell her God's grace, God's favor, God's election is on you, Mary, and God, Yahweh will be with you. Now we hear that and we're like, yeah, of course God is with us. But remember, this is at a time when God was in and with his temple, not some small town chick. But Mary knew from this greeting, something was about to go down. She knows her Hebrew scriptures. And then and I was reminded this week at my, at my GC by Natalie Weeson that the last time the angel Gabriel shows up before Christmas, is in Daniel chapter 9. There he makes a huge promise that that in 490 years, there was coming an anointed one, the one who would rule, who would atone for sin and usher in this kingdom of righteousness. It was passages like this in Daniel 9 that made many Jews in Jesus' day on high alert as the 490 years were coming closer to its finish. Of course, she's troubled at his words. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, 
you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The virgin is is told that she will conceive and have a baby boy. But this baby boy that she's told to name Jesus, Yeshua, which means God is salvation, will not just be her miracle son, but will be son of the Most High. I'm sure her heart rate was skyrocketed at this point. But then the angel tells her that the the son she's about to conceive will sit on David's throne and reign forever. I wish someone got that moment on TikTok as, 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 as Mary would have known the second Samuel 7 promise of this forever king. Her, her jaw must have been on the floor. The Christ, the Messiah, my son. Now everyone makes fun of me because I love the song, Mary, Did You Know? And I know it has its issues, but it's still on my top five Christmas songs, and I'm unashamed about it. But one of the issues with that song is even asking the question, Mary, did you know? For instance, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Uh, Yeah, she knew. (laughs) The angel literally told her. This little Jewish girl from Nazareth who fears the Lord, which means she takes God at his word, just heard out of the mouth of the Lord's angel that she would bear a child and that this child would be the Messiah that her and her people have been longing for. Oh, she knew. She did have some questions like, how is this even possible? She's taken sex ed in Hebrew school. And so she says, verse 34, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. That's a legit question. At least the angel thinks so. Unlike Zachariah, the mature priest in the temple who doubts, Gabriel does not rebuke the young girl for her lack of faith. Instead, he answers her question. And and please know, RP, that, that, that you can be a Christian and have questions. We all do. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And God's people said, Amen. (laughs) Nothing is impossible with God. How is young Mary going to give birth to her son? How will the Son of God be conceived by this virgin? The Holy Spirit. And this word overshadowed is the same word we see when God's presence would, would come and overshadow the temple and the tabernacle. 
Mary in church history has been called the Ark of the Covenant. Because of what happens here, the, the third person of the Godhead, that the Holy Spirit will, will come upon her and place within her the Most High, the Son of God. Back in the Garden of Eden, when Eve doubted the goodness of God and sin was ushered into this world, God says that, that through Eve's offspring, this is Genesis 3.15, through Eve's offspring, there's one coming that will make all things right. Well, that seed, the promised Messiah, Savior, the skull crusher, is finally here. And it's Eve's daughter, Mary, whom God's favor rests. That, that the offspring, the Son of God, through the Holy Spirit, is conceived in her womb. This is the good news of Christmas, friends. That the, the eternally begotten Son of God, who is truly God, takes on another nature. Man. And is conceived in the virgin. Let's hear Mary's response to the angel's good news. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary believes the narrative. Mary will herself conceive and give birth to the narrative. As one commentator said, in declaring herself a servant of the Lord, she acknowledges her elective status as well as her place alongside the prophets. Let's not worship Mary, but let's also not neglect her either. Mary's a big deal. This young girl from an obscure city is being given a huge role in redemptive history. The Athanasian Creed calls her the mother of God. And just a quick point of application here. I loved chopping up this passage in our, in our GC and, and, and especially hearing from Reagan Stanley over there. Uh, just a few years older than Mary would have been in this passage. And reading commentaries are awesome, but there's no commentaries written by teenage girls. Reagan, on the other hand, brought out some terrific application. Like, Mary doesn't even know if her man's going to peace on her. I wonder how that felt. Mary had probably so many questions and worries and fears that she doesn't get any answers to. But, but, but like Reagan said, she, she trusted God anyways. And that was enough. What is God calling you to do? And are, are you following him even if nothing else makes sense? Do you trust God's plan for your life even if things right now aren't working out according to your hopes, your dreams, your desires? There's, there's a lot we can't control, but we can choose to be faithful. We can choose to be obedient? Are you willing like Mary to say, I am the Lord's servant. Your will be done. Oh God. 
Well, as the angel departs from Mary, Mary departs from Nazareth and she takes the hike down south. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, I'm not sure all that was going through Mary's head when she was then left to herself, but it's obvious how fast she made the journey to Judea that she was eager for some encouragement. <laughs> she had to have been contemplating the challenging months ahead in, in, in this honor and shame culture where she resided in social shame was about to be her new norm as a premarital pregnancy was not going to be smiled upon. Matter of fact, it might even get her stoned. And her story of the angel and the virgin birth was not going to be believed, at least not by many. So like all of us in hard seasons, Mary needs community. She needs to hear from her older sister, Elizabeth, whom the angel told her is having a post-menopausal miracle pregnancy herself. How will Elizabeth receive Mary? Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a scene, right? The, the Holy Spirit is on the move in the book of Luke. And being full of the Holy Spirit, Mary doesn't, or Elizabeth doesn't waste any time. Look at verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her through the, yeah, amen. Through the, the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth has supernatural insight. As we read Hannah's song earlier, you might remember this line. It'll, it'll be back on the screen here. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. As Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of her Lord, she makes the first great confession, calling Jesus, the unborn Son of God incarnate, her Lord, her rock, her God. And before I land the plane with Mary's Magnificat, Another side application here. It's so easy for us to be obsessed with uh, the, the Apostle Paul or, or the boldness of Peter or, or, the, or the preaching power of John Piper. And that's fine. As, as, as a pastor, the Apostle Paul is my hero. But let's make sure we also follow Elizabeth and Mary on our road to discipleship. Theologian Holly Carey says, what we see in the gospel of Luke is that the evangelists present female, the evangelists present female disciples as exemplars for faith. Luke is all about the marginalized. He wants to highlight women disciples in the first century, not because he's woke, but because he wants us to look more like Jesus. 
Let's see women in scripture, in church history, and today as models for discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let's end our time with one of the great worship songs ever sung. Yes, even better than Mary, did you know? It's Mary's own Magnificat. So why don't you look at verse 46. And we don't have time to unpack all the lyrics here, but, but keep in mind, this is kind of a remix to Hannah's praise song. I'm back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary believed the narrative, the news from the angel, and all she can do now is worship. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. One theologian says, within the tight confines of Mary's physical body, all the covenants, and in fact, all of human history, were about to reach their climax. I'm going to read that again. I thought that was good. Within the tight confines of Mary's physical body, all the covenants... In fact, all of human history were about to reach their climax. She doesn't just believe the narrative. She finds herself giving birth to the climax of the narrative and will live the rest of her life out of this narrative. Our passage ends with verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. As you return home today, what narrative will you be believing? As, as we inch closer to Christmas, what narrative will you be living out? David Brooks says, what you are is an expression of history. But what history is forming you and in, in giving you your identity. 2,000 years ago, God became a man conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He, he came with a message. The kingdom of God is here. He came with a command to love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you, but, but many of the very people who were supposed to be waiting for him missed him. His life ended in crucifixion. His mom, Mary, had a front row seat to her beloved son being brutally killed. Imagine that. But she did name him Jesus. God is salvation, and salvation was actually his mission, ushering in the kingdom of God through a Roman cross. 
so that he could save his mom and every other sinner who would see him for who he is, the crucified king, as they and we enter into the narrative ourselves as we give our allegiance to King Jesus. The narrative continues. In three days, he rose from the dead. He defeated sin, death, and Satan, and he ascends to the right hand of God the Father. He, he, he now reigns, now reigns in an everlasting kingdom. He sits on David's forever throne, just like the angel promised Mary. This is the greatest narrative. But do you believe it? Do you believe it enough to live it out? And this narrative is not over. The, the greatest story ever told is not finished. He, he, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. He, he's coming back to consummate his kingdom, to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, bring with him the redemption of our bodies. And when he comes back that second time, it's not going to be through weakness, but in power, in glory, and in might. The world we experience, what one theologian calls the domain of the tragic, will be no more. For those whose only hope in life and death is Christ and Christ alone, paradise with God is where we're all headed. No more sin, sorrow, pain, sickness. Are you longing for that day? This is Advent, friends. I had a hard conversation with <clears throat> one of my best friends on, on Thursday. And this time of year is, is really hard for him because his father passed away a couple of years ago, right before Christmas with a, uh, uh, a surgery that was supposed to be super routine. Um, he called me on Thursday and then I asked him how he's doing. He said, not good, bro. His wife had just miscarried. Um, and, and it had just been a hard season. His oldest son, he just wants to go to heaven and meet his little brother. My friend yesterday, he buried his son right next to his father. The domain of the tragic. But my dude's a theologian. After I, I grieved with him and, and we sat in darkness, he reminded me of Advent, his hope. Not of all the presents, the family, the eggnog, but of the reality of what Jesus accomplished in his first advent that makes my friend longing for his second advent so real. As he sits in the in-between, the already and not yet, and, and longs for the day when Christ comes again, when all things will be made new. When he gets to worship his savior in his new glorified body, along with meeting his son for the first time. Talk about hope, right? This is our narrative. Do we believe it? Do we live it out? What would it look like if, if Christians bought into this narrative? 
Um, imagine if, if we, RP, threw away so much of the noise that we're listening to and found ourselves like Mary in this story. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf. Thank you for the narrative that he came as the climax. God, thank you for Advent and what he accomplished for us in the past and what he is going to be doing with us in the future. God, help us as we get closer to Christmas and our lives get busier and busier. God, help us to think deeply on you, God. Help us to have a theology of Advent, God. Help us to be conformed into Christ as we look to examples like Mary and Elizabeth. God, give us great faith that we too can say, we are the Lord's servant. Let your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.